get back to Ephesians. Amen. I just finished the book I got at the conference I went to at Cedarville College. Uh, Nine Marks is the title of the book, written by John Dever. Dever, I think we're going to. In fact, he's going to be the one of the speakers at our conference this year. He's a pastor in the city of Washington D.C. has a a good church up there, and he wrote this book. And one of the things that talked about in the book is that one of the things that uh, one of the nine marks of a good church is a church that preaches expositorily. In other words, a church that preaches from the Bible in such a way that it lets the Bible do the, the teaching and exhorting, and we learn strictly from the scriptures. And one of the things that, that he was pointing out is that uh, you can be an expository preacher and yet not necessarily exposit a specific book. He says, one thing about taking a book of the Bible and then preaching it to your people is, at the end of the whole process, if you really have taken notes and you really paid attention, you should have a firm grasp of what that book is. So when we finish Ephesians, you ought to have a better understanding of what Ephesians is all about for the simple reason we've been through the book verse by verse, amen, as well as we did the book of uh, James and the book of Nehemiah. It helps us have a concept and a grasp of what the word is actually saying rather than hit and miss going here and there and pick it out, whatever. But uh, it helps me because I know where I'm going to be next week without having to think, now, Lord, what will you have me preach next Sunday? I already got it already mapped out. Verses, uh, but today we're going to do verses 7 through 14 and Sunday after that, 15 through 21. And then the week after that, we begin verse 22, dealing with the wives, and then the husbands, and then the children. So it's not a it's not a guess thing. You already know where I'm coming from without even having to worry about, what's the pastor going to preach on this Sunday? Amen? Amen. So if you're looking for a church uh, that sounds biblically, one of the things you want to look for is a church that preaches and teaching, teaches and adheres to the word of God. Paul, in the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians, says, therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but, ex but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I want to talk about, if you had to pick a title, and some of us like titles, so we are light, not darkness. We are light, not darkness. At the end of chapter 4, Paul introduced putting off one type of behavior and putting on another. You look at chapter 4, remember we went through that. He says, put off and put on the new man, which is in Christ. This is not a matter of exchanging, now catch this, one pattern of behavior for another, which we might assume 
would work itself out eventually, but rather of things that are not even hinted of and amazing, sorry, can't read my own writing, not even hinted at among believers. They are improper and out of place. What he said was, put off the old man, put on the new man. And it's not just a matter of changing how we act. All through Ephesians, what he's talking about is our Christianity, our salvation, is about changing us from the inside out. It's not just a matter of putting away certain things, but it's also a matter of the word of God taking root in our lives, and we are able to take that and understand that God's word changes us. A lot of times we, 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 I hear people say, and I think I know some people who are in this category, there are certain things that they are doing, certain behaviors that they have, and what they do is they want to come to Jesus, they want to accept him, we're all right, we'll get through this without the lights on because it makes that buzzing noise. I got to call an electrician and see if we can get that on a separate circuit so the buzzing doesn't affect the speakers and all that other stuff. You can't see me. Sort of, kind of, can't you? <laughs> I'm not so dark you can't. <laughs> if you can't see me, at least you can hear me. <laughs> what happens is we have certain behaviors that we're caught up in, and rather than us willing to put down our behaviors that we might get right with God, we'd rather hang on to our behaviors and not get right with God. There are a lot of people who come to the church, and I really believe they generally want to be saved, they generally want to come to Christ, but they know that in their life right now at this present time, there are certain things that they're doing that they know they shouldn't be doing, and if they came to Christ, that might mean they have to put down that behavior or even put down that person or put down that situation. And because of that, and because of sin's grasp and hold on some people, they would rather hold on to the sin rather than give their life to Christ and allow Christ work in their life. That's a tough thing to be in, but Paul says some things. Uh, I, I find it ironic that a lot of us, when we come to the Word of God, we interject our own feelings. Back in chapter 4, or chapter 5, the verse, first part there, he talked about sexual immorality. And what he said was all that sexual immorality, fornication, blah, blah, blah. You can read that for yourself in chapter 5. He says it ought not to even be named among us as believers. In other words, all those behaviors that he lists, and there's like six different ones he talks about through that whole section there, those things ought not to be named among us. And then he says if it is, what it tells us is that we are an idolater and not even part of the kingdom of God. One of the great Christian writers that uh, has lived has written many different books is by the name of John R.W. Scott, Stott rather, Stott, S-T-O-T-T. He writes in his, he writes on that section, he says, it could be easy for Christians to speed read a paragraph like this without pausing for reflection on the assumption that it applies to unbelievers and not to us. 
Has not Paul assured us in the earlier part of this letter of our heavenly inheritance, which he did in Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14? He says, has he not also taught us that the Holy Spirit within us is God's guarantee, even foretaste of a first installment of it until we acquire possession of it? The fact that you and I have the Holy Spirit is God's guarantee that we have an inheritance in heaven. If you're saved today and know Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit, that is an uh, uh, endowment. That is given to us as a down payment of the fact that one day we will get our full glorification and be seated with Christ in heavenly places. Amen? Amen. That's also first, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. He says, God's guaranteed even foretaste the first installment of it until we acquire possession of it. And prayed that our eyes might be opened to see the riches of the glory of the inheritance, which one day will be ours. We have an inheritance with Christ already. Amen? Amen. Our inheritance is that where he is, we shall be also. Where is Christ? He's in heaven with his Father on the right-hand side. He is the firstborn of those who got up. Christ got up from the grave because he got up. He's the first one. The fact that I believe in him and have accepted him means that at the resurrection, I too will get up. Amen? Not because of my goodness, but because of what Jesus did on my behalf. Catch it. It's not what you do or don't do. It's all what Christ has done for us. Jesus paid it all, all to him by oath. Sin has left its crimson stain. He, Jesus, has washed it white as snow. He paid it all. Amen? He says, at the same time, he also addresses to us this warning about the danger of forfeiting our inheritance in God's kingdom. How can we reconcile these things? Only by recalling that assurance of salvation is neither a synonym nor an excuse for presumption. In other words, do not presume upon God that God does forgive, God understands, and it's always, always going to be all right. Don't make that presumption. He says, and if we should fall into a life of greedy immorality, we would be supplying clear evidence. Catch that. We would be supplying clear evidence that we are, after all, idolaters, not worshipers of God, disobedient people instead of obedient, and so the heirs not of heaven, but of hell. The apostle gives us a solemn warning. We should be wise to heed it. In other words, what he's really saying is when you read Ephesians chapter 5 and he talks about all those things, if you're caught up in that and that is your lifestyle, basically what he said, Paul says in that letter is, if you're in these things, it ought not to be even named among us as believers. But if it is, you are an adulterer, you are an unbeliever, and because of that, you have no part of the kingdom of heaven. That's what he says. No ifs, no ands, and no buts. No negotiating in it, under it, around it, or through it. If you, he says, and he's talking to the Ephesian church, 
to which are supposed to be believers, but if you say that you are a believer and you're caught up in those practices, what you're saying by the fruits of your life, you're not a believer, you are an unbeliever, and because of that, you're on your way to hell. I didn't say that. Paul says it. And it says it right there in the verse number five. He says, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an adulterer, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. You have no inheritance. None in God's kingdom or in the inheritance that Christ left for us. And then he goes on down through here. Paul says, therefore, do not be partakers with them. In other words, don't participate in what they're doing. It's all a matter of lifestyle. We are in the world, but we're not to be of the world. There are many people as Christians, especially some Christians and some churches, that, plead, that, that really believe that we as a church ought to isolate ourselves from what goes on in the world. That's not the case. If we isolate ourselves, the church, the unbelievers will never hear the message of the gospel. But what they do, we ought not to be participating in. Your influence, your witness, your ability to share the word will be hampered if you find yourself, and I find myself, caught up in the very activities that the word of God says we ought not to be doing. In other words, watch who you hang with. You can hang you could be involved in a crowd. Here's what usually happens. Instead of us witnessing to them, they witness to us, and we find ourselves doing the very thing that we ought not to be doing. Because very few people are strong enough to be able to be in a, in a group of people that are doing the wrong thing and yet still stand up for that which is right. You have to be spiritually mature, spiritually fed, understand your Bible, understand what the Lord wants you to do. Not that you will ever be perfect, not that I will ever be perfect, but get, get this. We ought not to be finding ourselves caught up in the very activities that the world is. There isn't supposed to be a distinction between the believer and the unbeliever. That's why he said earlier, put off and put on the new man. Take off the old things and put on the new things that are in Christ. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Now, understand this. For one time, he says, you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. He doesn't say that we were in darkness. He simply says we are darkness. There's a big difference between being in darkness and being darkness itself. When you and I were unsaved, we were pure darkness. Amen. Not that we were in darkness. We were darkness. And there's nothing good about darkness at all. At all. But then he says, you once were darkness, which means that we once were in sin. We once lived in sin. We once lived in total alienation from God. Didn't have to want to have anything to do with God. Didn't understand the things of God. Didn't want to become the church. Didn't want to hear about the Bible. All those things that make up what darkness is all about. The Bible says men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. A lot of things go on in darkness. People creep in darkness. Thieves rob when it's what? Dark. Why? 
if your house is well lit, you got lights on the outside, you got lights on the inside, guess what? They're less likely to come to your house. Why? Because there's light. Light reveals. Light shows up. And if you're doing wrong, you don't want anybody to know what you're doing. If I'm getting ready to break in your house, I don't want a big spotlight beaming on me as I'm getting ready to pick the lock on your front door or break your window. But if there's darkness, I could wear my dark clothes, my little black toboggan or whatever, hoodie. Sneak in, your house is dark. I don't even need, if I know, if I've been there before, case the joint, I don't need no flashlight. I know where all your goodies are. Get in, get out, and be done. The same thing is true of sin in our lives. It's darkness. He says, not that we were in darkness, we were darkness. But, that good word, but, I like that. But now, we are light. Amen? But now you are. We were darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. He qualifies it. You're not just light, you're light in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Now, because you are light, walk as what? Children of light. In light of what Jesus has done for us, in light of what he's did to us, for us and through us, through his word, all those things Paul talked about, one, two, three, four. No, act like it. You say you're saved, walk as it. I know I get a lot of, I know I get a lot of, what's the word I want? Negative feedback on dealing with some aspects of church discipline. But when a person walks down the aisle and says, I have accepted Christ, I believe in the word of God. What we're going to start doing as a church, because I think we need to understand that we bind ourselves by a covenant, we're going to start reading the church covenant every time we have Lord's Supper. Because that covenant t- covers a whole lot of things that we say we as a church body agree that we're going to be about. But when I walk down the aisle and I said, I confess Christ is my Savior, I want to be saved, and the church says, amen, what we as a church are saying is, upon the profession of Y'all's my faith. We affirm that you are a believer. That's what I'm saying. On the profession of their faith. We as a church body are agreeing to that. The converse of that, if they don't act like what they profess, do we not have a responsibility as well as we accept them to also discipline based on their lack of profession? That just makes sense. If they come down and say, I believe, I'm a Christian, I want to be part of this body, I'm willing to obey the word of God, I want to, and we say, hey, man, we're glad you have you. And then in time, as time passes on, there is no fruit or indication that their profession matches up to what they said. Does it not make sense that we as a body likewise have a responsibility to find out why that baby isn't growing the way it should? Just a question. Just throw that out. Think about that. Well, if you had a child that wasn't maturing and growing properly, you would say that something's wrong. And you would take it to the doctor and say, Doc, shouldn't she be talking by now? Shouldn't she be here walking? I mean, they're still, they can't chew, they can't eat, they're not eating right. 
They got a full set of teeth, but they can't eat. What's going on here? You would question that, I would hope, Amen. as a parent. Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't care. I don't know. He says, walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found. As a byproduct of light, what is found in it is all that is good and right and true. There are things that are just good, things that are right, and whether you and I agree with it or not or believe it, there is truth even in the word of God. What determines truth is not what you think or what society thinks. What determines truth is God's word. God determines what is true. It's not relative. It's not subjective to what you think. It's all what God has already said is true. Bottom line is most of the truth is based on the Ten Commandments. And out of that, pours, and Jesus Christ came and intensified that. Good, right, and true. And he says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You and I have, as we grow, we have to ask the Lord to give us wisdom to be able to discern, to make the right decisions, to go to the right places, to do the right thing. We have to have a spirit of discernment so we can know what to do and what not to do. Are you free to do whatever you want? In Christ, no. Because there's some things that you ought not to do because it's just wrong. Uh, We do it. And when we do it, we are in disobedience, and we face the consequences of that. But I need to ask the Lord, help me to discern what is right and what is true. One of my objectives as pastors of this church, not just with our young people, but with some of my adults as well, is that you might be able to discern what is right and what is wrong. If you have a young person in your house, young people in your house, children in your house, one of the things that I hope you're trying to instill into them is the principle of discernment. In other words, doing the right thing at the right time. Because all your buddies are in the back talking and messing around does not mean that you have to do it. And if you don't do it, if they look at you and say, well, you're really out of it, you're square, you're, man, what's wrong with you, how come you're not? So be it. Rather than be a crowd pleaser, everybody else was doing it, so I'll do it. Because guess what? Eventually, they're going to get away from us. When they go to college, when they get a job, they're not going to have the pastor's voice so much verbally sounding in their ear. Hopefully, they would have received some principles as they were coming up so that when somebody tells them something that's wrong, hey, let's go over here and bust this window out. Why? Just because it would be fun. It would be something nice to do. Hey, man, I got some firecrackers and some cherry bombs and some, and some uh, what do you call those things, um, those missile things, whatever they're called. What are they called? Bottle rockets and all that stuff. Let's go out in the country, drive down, and there's Sigurd and Hughes mailbox. Let's throw a, a, a firecracker in their mailbox and watch it explode. I was with a group of guys that did that one night. We were driving along, my high school buddies were driving along. All of a sudden, they, psst, what are you doing? <laughs> Guilt by association. I didn't have to do it, but I was in the car with them. You know, I mean, hey. Sometimes we are guilty, not because we didn't do or do. 
it's because we're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. So I said, but that's not fair. It doesn't have to be fair. Young people, you're at a party and your buddies start wanting to drink. And you know in your heart, well, maybe you want to drink, maybe you have the drink. See, I'm not naive to think that our young people haven't had some taste of some stuff. I mean, you, you're, if, if you're a parent, you think your child has never been tempted, number one. And number two, if you think they may not have, you're living in a fantasy world. I lean more on the side most of them have done some stuff that they don't want us to know rather than on the side they're doing the right thing. But, and I base that upon not because I think they're so weak, but I just know how, pr how pressure, peer pressure and the pressure of this world presses upon us. I've got adults that don't do it right. I ain't going to put that on them. But you're at a party. Went to Cincinnati, Ohio. Went down to my best one of my friends I grew up with as a young child. Down Cincinnati. Both parents worked. We're at home in the summertime. And uh, next thing I know, they had called a they called a neighbor. Hey, go get us some alcohol. So, as I know, the guy the neighbor comes over, brings in the alcohol. Everybody starts drinking. I am not the type of person that bases my life on the crowd. Number one, drinking wasn't that big an issue with me. Alcohol, I mean, I had tasted some stuff. You know, pick your parents' drink when they were drinking back in the old days. <coughs> what is this? <coughs> Tastes terrible. Smoking wasn't a big deal with me. I, the idea of oh, chewing tobacco, the, no, no. I mean, I had plenty of friends, but that wasn't me. I was able to say, you know what, that ain't me. My dad ran Pete's and Hammy's. If I wanted alcohol, two things. One, it was at my house. Two, secondly, it was over there. I used to stock the beer, the beer coolers and stuff. It wasn't a big issue. So having somebody, the neighbor, go get me something to drink, I'm thinking, this is fun? I mean, I, I can go to the, my dad's. Yeah, refrigerator full. Jesus, come on now. But they thought it was cool. I said, y'all go ahead, go at it. And I went out and, I don't know, did some, I wasn't even there. I'm like, mm. it didn't appeal to me. But here's my point. Not everybody is like that. Amen. Where it didn't appeal to me, for others who have been sheltered, don't know, parents are away, house is empty, girlfriend, boyfriend, this person coming over. Let me tell you, I deliver for UPS. You, it's a dangerous thing. Summertime's coming. It's dangerous to leave your house open to young people who are unsupervised. You think they're doing the right thing. You tell them, don't have nobody in the house. But you will never know because you're at work and your husband's at work. You are trusting them to do the right thing. And you know there have been times when you've been right there and trusted them to do the right thing, and they didn't. When the cat's away, the mice will play. Paul says, look, all this stuff, it has to, the change, the light, the dark. You were in that. You were in darkness, but now you're in light. As being that, walk now as children like, give us a spirit, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. 
I want my kids to obey and do what, what Sheila and I say do, but above that, they need to please the Lord. I put that on them real quick. I didn't come down the aisle. I didn't say I want to be a Christian. You did. Now, yes, we have rules and regulations in this house, but above that, above disappointing me, you're above that disappointing the Lord. Now, who do you think is greater, him or me? Him. You said you were a Christian. You said you were a believer. And all Mark's indication that your way you're doing stuff tells me you're not even living close with the Lord. You need to get that right. Then secondly, yes, I'm going to deal with you because you're my child. But hopefully, please the Lord. You please the Lord as a byproduct, you'll please me. Amen? Amen. But that's on them. We have to ask the Lord to give us the ability to discern or to understand what is right and what is wrong. Amen? Amen. That's just one-on-one. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose it. Don't be a participator. The fact that you're now light, light is going to expose what's going on. You're supposed to expose wrong. What is the, what is the chief end of man to glorify and honor God? Why? Because the only reason why the world isn't any worse off is because we are to be the light. How is a dying world going to know what is right and what is wrong unless we as the church, as the believers of God, expose the wrong because of the light that we received in Christ? We're to shine the flashlight of God's word on the very evil deeds that are going on. We're to walk as children of light. Light has some healing or useful purpose. Amen? Light enables us to discriminate between what is well-pleasing and what is not pleasing to God. The light of Christ is that which judges all motives and all actions and tests all our motives and actions. It's the light. Why do you do what you do? I hope you do what you do if it's right because of your love for Christ and the love for the word and the Holy Spirit of God is working on you and I to do that which is right. Amen? Light exposes evil. If we're ever going to have a society of good citizens, if you want to be a good citizen or you want to raise your children to be good citizens, they've got to be taught the light. If not, we will have total anarchy in our world. One of the things I'm really concerned about, the Christian evangelical, the church as a whole thing is, we think, we think that God is Democrat or Republican. No. Uh-uh. He's not a Democrat, and God is not a Republican or any combination thereof. He's not on the left. He's, God is who he is. But what I see what happens in Christian circles is we try to impose our morality and our rightness based upon enforcement on society as a whole as if God is one or the other. No. No. 
what's going to take, what's going to stop abortion. Abortion, the abortion issue is not a Democrat or Republican issue. Most people will tell you the Republicans are the, are the, are the, is the side where they hope or basically is more moral and more right than a Democrat. No, they're not. They're just as, both sides are messed up. They can't, they can't claim that, well, we're the side, we're anti-abortion, we're anti-this. We stand on what the Bible says, hogwash. For everything that you stand on one side, on the other side of some issues, you're totally opposite of what God says, and vice versa. The Democrats stand for something, but they're wrong, and some things they're right. They're both messed up. If you're going to change society, you have to change them by the power of the word of God and change people's hearts. You cannot legislate morality. You could tell the, you could put it in the law, do not have abortions, and that, because it's a law, will not stop somebody from having abortions. They may get arrested, the doctors or whoever, the hospital, but in the end, if they want it, they'll go to the back alleys or wherever, and you still got the same problem. You just hid it rather than exposing it in the light and having people's lives changed by the gospel of the word. Every issue that somebody can come up with, I can point to the failure of it because it did not change people's hearts. Legislate all you want about racism. Put it in the books. You can't discriminate based on sex or racial orientation and all the other stuff, and you can live wherever you... But bottom line is, if unless a person's heart is changed, if they're a racist, be they black, white, red, or blue, they're still a racist. It's got more sophisticated ways of doing it, but their heart hasn't been changed, and they still don't like you or me or whoever because of who we are. So what did putting it on the law going to do? It gives us certain legal rights, but it didn't change as a whole because people's hearts are messed up. I get sick and tired of watching the church and watching people claim that the church, it's not. This is nothing new been going on. Recently, back when President, one of the pre, our presidents was at the National Association of Religious Broadcasters, and he gave an address to all the broadcasters that were at that convention, and in the end, every single broadcaster stood up and gave the president a standing ovation because he said he believed in God and he was going to do the right things and all that, and they all, even after the president had left, they were all still standing and clapping and it was just like, wow, we've got a president that's a Christian. He's a Christian. He's going to change this thing. Chuck Colson, who just recently died, took the platform. And as the applause subsided, he said, my brothers and sisters in Christ, just want to let you know that God is going to change this world by his kingdom and by his word not by any man or group thereof. Didn't receive a standing ovation. And I agree with him. If we're going to change this world, it's going to come by the power of the word. God has to take what was in darkness and bring, we are, we were darkness. There was nothing, there is nothing good about us at all. But it takes the light of the word of God that we might appeal to Christ, and it's Christ 
working on the inside that changes us from inside out so that our actions match up to what we say we are. And that only happens in the life of a man, one boy, or girl, when they really meet Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. I, as a pastor, cannot force you to do anything. But I can preach to you the word of God, and it's between you and God as to what you do with his word. If you have known sin and you know you're not right as you're sitting in this place today, you have the obligation and the duty to get right with God. Not because I said so, because you know in your heart you're not matching up to what the word says. And you have to ask the Lord to give you discernment whether you want to hold on to that sin or you want to let go and let God have the right of way in your life. And the sad thing is, many people would rather hold on to that sin than let go and let God. Why? Because it might mean you might have to put down that boyfriend, that girlfriend, that job, whatever, so that the kingdom of God might be enhanced through you. Amen. And it's a high price to pay. But what are you going to give? What is it going to cost you for your soul to be right with God? Jesus said, in case you don't know it, being a part of my kingdom may very well and easy divide your own house. Daughter against mother, father against son, husband against wife, children against parents. Why? Because ultimately, it's the truth of the word that stands above and beyond all physical relationships. Love my wife, love my kids, but if they're going down the wrong path, I'm not following them because I love them and they're my house. I will tell them you're wrong and what you're doing is not right. You all go ahead and go that way. If that means I'm out and you're in, so be it. I'm going to do what the Lord wants me to do. That's a high price to pay. And many of us, that's why Jesus said, count the cost. Calculate what it costs to follow me. For many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not, did we not come to Cornerstone and sing? Did we not come to Cornerstone and preach? Did I not come to Cornerstone and, and, and give money? Did I not come to Cornerstone and usher? Did I not? Did I not? Did I not? You know who I am. What did Jesus say? Uh, I don't know you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. That's going to be a hard thing to think that you're in, but you're out. No, I hate to tell you this, but some of us are out, even though we think we're in. But then you got to match up to the word. Say, Lord, help me. Give me discernment. To know that I am now, I am, you are, present tense, active voice. You are, not that you will be or you could be, but you are as a byproduct of coming to Christ. You are light. You are. That's who you are. Be it. 
That's why he talks about the testament. Don't let these things be named among you. He says, for it is shameful even to speak of these things that they do. Don't even put it in our conversation. Don't make jokes about it. Don't, do you understand that television basically makes a mockery of who God is? And I like to watch some TV shows too, but the bottom line is TV, radio, all that stuff, it makes a mockery of what is right. Tell me something. What benefit does it good does, does any of us to watch the housewives of, of California, Atlanta, wherever? What eternal value is there in watching Snooky and her gang running all over the place doing that crazy stuff that they do? What eternal benefit is there in they're not going off and watching what used to be soap operas? What eternal benefit of all these, quote, comedies of People living together outside of marriage, saying this and doing that, and we laugh at all that stuff. What benefit is that to us? None. It's making a very mockery of what God has said in his word, and we buy it hook, line, and sinker. I watch it myself, Modern Family. But the premise of the whole show is messed up. It is. Where to be light? He says it's shameful. Paul says it's just not right. It's 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 apparent that it should be, we shouldn't even speak of these things that they're doing in secret. Now it's not so much in secret; it's exposed wide open. There was a day that you wouldn't see two men kissing on the street. They do it, Morton. Chicago, L.A., whatever. There was a day you didn't see heterosexual people kissing, making out on the street. I was told just recently uh, we had a little couple hugged up, smooched up in our little corner of our door over here. I'm like, what? Yeah, they were just all in the door, just, you know, making out. That bothers me. Number one, it's a church. You're on, a, you're, on, you're on God's territory, brother, sister. Is there no fear of God? No. Don't think about it. Pastor, I have needs. Get your needs under control. Ask the Lord to give you discernment. We all have needs, but there's a right way to fulfill the need. I might feel I need to have a Chrysler 200. If you got it, I might take your keys and drive off with it. Because I feel that I need it doesn't mean I should do it. The desire is not sin. We are made to be, to be attracted to the opposite sex. That's not a bad thing. It's a great thing. It's wonderful. God created it. But do it in the way that God says do it. Don't be like cats and dogs and sheep and cattle with the urge hits you, just go out and do it. That's how most people approach it. Need somebody, we need some people to, that's, that's gone through some stuff to stand up and testify, look, I made a mistake. You don't want to go down this road. It's a hard road to travel. I'm not tearing nobody down. I'm saying, listen, you pay by the consequence of what you do. You do wrong and you get caught, you pay the, God forgives, I forgive, he loves, I love, we love. But the fact of the matter is, you're still left with the residue of what you did, and it's a hard thing sometimes. 
you make your road so much harder than it ought to be. And I'm preaching life out of my body by telling some of my young people in order, don't go down that road. Oh, we'll love you. We'll help you any way we can, but you're going to make it so much harder for yourself. Why would you want to do that? I know at the moment you're not thinking. Watch this. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake. This is a hymn that they sung. This is not scripture. Most writers say this is probably a hymn that they sung maybe at a baptism or they sang it in the churches. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Wake up. So many people live their Christian life thinking that God is a, is a killjoy. I can't have fun as a Christian. Yes, you can. I grew up, I heard just about five minutes of Dr. Charles Stanley this morning before I came to church early this morning. And I flipped him on, and he was just starting his sermon. I said, oh, Dr. Stanley, I have to catch you later. Uh, but he was talking about when he came up in this church, his church was, the church he grew up was so legalistic. He said, I went to a church where if you went to the movie, you were in sin. It was a sin. I mean, going to the movies was, was a sin. And he said, uh, he remember he went to one movie, tried to go to a movie, and the, he was kind of a tall, skinny dude at the time. And he said, the woman asked me how old I was, and I told her, she said, you're not that old. He said, yes, I am. She said, no, you're not. You can't go to the movie. He says, years later, he went back to the movie theater, and it, I forget the movie he said he saw, but he said, he remembers sitting in the movie, and the whole time he was sitting in the movie, he said, I didn't enjoy the movie, for I was afraid that God was going to zap lightning or burn the movie theater down, and I'm sitting there watching, thinking, when is God going to get, oh, here I am, I've been taught my whole life that being in a movie theater was sin, and instead of watching the movie, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, when's God going to burn this movie house down? That's how many people approach the Christian life. They're waiting for God to drop the axe on them or zap them with lightning. That's not how God operates. God does hate sin, but listen, he's also, he wants us to avoid some things in life. And if you grow in the word, as you study the Bible, as you listen to Sunday morning, if you come to Sunday school and you listen and, and, and hear to the word of God, you can spare yourself so much trouble. I mean, we've come a long way. We've come so far that we no longer fear sin. Or the consequences thereof. We don't. Anything goes now. God understands. God is gracious. God forgives. But oh, that's true. But God hates sin. Amen. I mean, we, we, we had, some of us can bring up some issues. Should women wear pants or not wear pants? Oh, come on. Should you wear makeup or not wear makeup? Should you young people go? I came up in a church that going to the senior prom was a forbidden. I mean, that, you could go, but if you did, like Dr. Stanley, you'd be like, okay, well, I'm going to get crippled as I'm dancing on the floor here. <laughs> you know? I mean, you're afraid. That's how we lived. Amen. That's how God wants us to live. He wants us to, everything God gave us in creation, he said it's good. But just be wise in the places you go. 
Be wise in the people you hang with. Be wise in our conversation, the words that we say. Be wise in the jobs that we Be wise, be wise. Ask God, Lord, help me. The words that come out of my mouth, may they be well-pleasing in your sight. Oh, Lord, my strength and my reading. Now, don't have how come from the same fountain come, praise God, hallelujah. And now the same mouth also come, come the words, go to. Or all those other words we all know about. On Sunday, we're singing about Jesus. By Sunday afternoon, I ain't going to say Monday, by Sunday, by the time you get out, before you get out of the parking lot, you might say something that you shouldn't say. It just happens that quick. And I know. What did I say that for? Because we're not built up. We're not prayed up. We're not studied up. We're not fellowshiped up enough. And the devil is a powerful adversary. Paul says, be light. You are. Not might. Not could be. Not will be. He says, you were darkness, but now you and I are light. Walk accordingly. Father, thank you for your word. So much to your word. And yet we just begin to scratch the surface. Help us from the desk all the way to the back and beyond to walk as children of light. Give us discernment. Help all of us, both young and old, to make wise decisions. Give us the spirit of discernment so that when something sounds off, we're able to have our antenna go up. We're able to have the warning lights blinking in our mind and in our heart. Say, something's just not right about this. Let me pull back. The old timers would say, help me wait until my change Now we want to make our changes our own selves. And then want you to fix what we messed up. Thank you for your grace that is extended to us day by day, moment by moment. We don't deserve it, but you bless us. Thank you for your mercy that holds back what we rightfully deserve. Help us, Father, to be more like you and less of ourselves. Touch somebody that may be here today that really needs you in their life. Strengthen them on each and every needed side. Thank you for all you have done and are doing and will be doing. In Jesus' name we pray.